Grace, mercy, and peace to each one of you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Would you please bow your head with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Amen. Please be seated. It's kind of a sobering thought that all around us is a world that we cannot see. It is the spiritual realm. And it is even more sobering that there seems to be a constant battle raging in that realm that largely goes unnoticed by us. I've mentioned this before, but it's an intriguing passage in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, where he alludes to this battle. It's when the angel Gabriel comes to Daniel, after Daniel has been praying, and Gabriel is part of the answer to his prayer. And he says to Daniel this, this cryptic message. He says this, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. In other words, I would have been here 21 days ago. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. <laughs> who are the kings of Persia? And who was the, the prince of Persia? St. Paul gives us some insight into who they were. In Ephesians, when he says this, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, which comes from the word prince, for against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, he says. That's who they were. They were the principalities the powers. And it is even more sobering than this that those spiritual hosts of wickedness oftentimes concern themselves with you and with me. And that happens in our lesson for this morning. It is found in Luke chapter 22. We get a glimpse into this intersection between this world and the spiritual world and the place that believers have in this battle in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 to 32. Now, the setting for this passage is Good Friday. It is just a few hours before Peter will deny his Lord. And here is what we read. And the Lord said, that's of course Jesus, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Well, these verses were written for our learning. So what might we learn from them? Well, first of all, one of the things we might learn is this. That when God's people undergo temptation and difficulties, and trials in this life, it is not without God's permission. Notice, Jesus says that Satan has asked for you, that he may sift you 
as wheat. By the way, this is, this is really interesting, that, but this passage also shows the, the, what, how, how closely the Old Testament and the New Testament agree because this is exactly what happened in the book of Job, isn't it? That Satan had to get permission from God to be able to test Job and put Job through that terrible suffering. And it might be a little disconcerting that God would sometimes remove his protection from the Christian and allow Satan to inflict his, his temptation and his suffering upon God's own children. But if you are a Christian... As we heard yesterday in chapel, you can expect to be a part of this battle. St. Peter says that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Secondly, we can learn from this passage that though it is disconcerting that God from time to time may remove his hedge of protection, he doesn't remove it completely. No. In fact, no less than the Son of God himself prays for Peter. He says this, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. So the devil afflicts God's people with temptations, with pain, with suffering, with whatever he can, but he can go no further than God allows it. And yes, it is disconcerting to know that I'm going to be attacked by the devil, but it is also a comfort to know that no less than God the Son prays for me. And God is ultimately in control. The devil can no, go no further than God allows him. And when he does allow it, God allows it for my benefit. Jesus himself prays for God's people. I have prayed that your faith should not fail. And notice, he says this then. He says, when you, when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. It's not if. He doesn't say if your brethren return. If, I mean, if you return to me, strengthen your brethren. He says, when. There's no doubt in his mind at all that this prayer will be answered. Of course it will be. God the Son asks it. Right? Well, he has every confidence that God will answer that prayer. And uh, I believe there are several lines of application here for you and me. First of all, you should assume Satan has asked for you. Boy, that's sobering, isn't it? Just as he asked Peter, you're a believer. You should assume that he has asked for you. Because it is almost certain that he has or that he will. Instead of Simon, Simon, those words of Jesus, put your own name there. Be on your guard, Peter says in, in the book that he wrote, one of the two that he wrote. He says, be, be on your guard because your adversary, the devil, roams about seeking whom he may devour. And blessed, said Jesus, are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Let me ask a question. Are you vigilant? 
You are more likely to be vigilant if you assume that Satan has asked for you, don't you think? That kind of gets you right here, doesn't it? Like, wow, I'd better be vigilant. Sometimes it's temptation to overt sin. Sometimes it's temptation to doubt God's word. Sometimes it's a temptation to doubt God's good intentions, that he will keep his promise to make every situation turn out for my good. Whatever it is, you can, you can just bet that temptation will come. But then you should also assume that just as Jesus prayed for Peter, he also prays for you. In fact, the Bible says that he does. He says he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. What a comfort that is, isn't it? No less than God the Son is interceding at the right hand of God and he's interceding for you. For those very times of temptation, he is praying for you. I frankly find that amazing that, that he ought not even know who I am and yet he prays for me. He ought not pay a dime's worth of attention to me after the way I've treated him and yet he intercedes for me. If you want to know what grace is, this is it, isn't it? You have someone who for no other reason than that he wanted you to be his own and live with him forever. For no other reason than that he went to the cross and bled his blood for you. To save your soul, to purchase you. And then not only that, but he prays for you. He spends his... his Time, whatever that means in heaven, he spends that for you, praying for you. After he rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, he still prays for you and for me. It is true that he who died to win the war against Satan and who rose again to assure it will not leave you helpless. And so as we heard on Monday, use his word as your weapon, follow his example, and use his word as we read today. Join him in prayer, your own prayers. He's even taught us what to say, hasn't he? Deliver us from evil. May God grant this for you and for me. Amen.